You're listening to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to. Like the show? Become a patron at patreon.com forward slash nygbc. You should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book that you can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. Not Your Grandmother's Book Club Podcast, where we read them so you don't have to, because the carny won't stop the Ferris wheel, so we keep going around. My name is Kevin, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Benedict, the only man Ben Shapiro makes drier than his wife. Benedict! <laughs> I see All your right, face. No, okay, no, I okay, see your disapproving okay, no, I'm, face. No, I'm, it's okay. Okay, can I can can we point out that it was Ben Shapiro's that you're referring to? Yes, yes, this yeah. is what I'm referring to. Benedict! Yeah. Yeah. What is your single purchase from Home Depot in a... <laughs> in a bag so that people know I didn't steal it? Is that the, the question? That's not the question. That's not the question. No, what is your idea? What's your food? The food mm. that you can eat with one hand. So one-handed mm. food. What are you going for? Uh, one-handed food. I think probably a taco. Mm. I reckon that's my that's my go-to move. Simple I, solution: I, the shell, nice and clean. Unless it's a Doritos Locos soft taco. shell taco, soft shell taco. Oh, soft shell, right? You like soft to shell. to roll it up a little bit more, less. Spillage. No, just like I like like real tacos, not oh, garbage well, hard shell tacos. You know what? Sometimes a hard shell, the crispy <laughs> Sometimes shell. Sometimes Californians does it for you. get defensive of their <laughs> weird iterations of Mexican. That's not food. even that's not even really no, a no, California thing. That's that's it's a Taco Bell Mexican. thing. To be fair, I think Taco Bell did start in California. I think it was started down in LA Maybe. or something. I don't remember exactly where, but yeah. I'm I'm also there with one-handed like with messy foods. I'm one of those people and I don't know if this is a genre of person or just me, but I am a person who just like once I have something in my hand like a burger or a taco or whatever, I am not putting that down until I oh, finish yeah. it. Oh yeah, I'm because with you. Like if I don't care if there are fries that I have to eat or other sides. Like mm-hmm. once the burger is in my hand and I've started eating yep. it, that's it. It's not going. It's not touching the plate. It's not even seeing the plate <laughs> until I am done with that burger. That's you got a death grip on that damn that's thing. It, exactly. Yeah, I, I don't want to get messy. I don't want to have to like. I don't want the thing to fall apart as soon as I put it down. What a nightmare. Absolutely, I'm with you 100. Anyway, what's and your also, what's your issue, right? First, yeah, if you, exactly, if you put it exactly. down, you're gonna end up forgetting and touching your face or touching other things around you and getting the the burger grease and i don't know why we assume it's always greasy right because my, my answer is not a greasy answer but okay. uh, I, I feel like there's it's, a what is it an apple <laughs> like no actually i was gonna go for the uh the grandma's oatmeal cookie okay. it's a big oatmeal cookie in a bag it's like I don't know, it's like three inches across but uh okay. one of those good so good size Kevin, i have a question cookie. Yep. How do you open the bag with one hand? 
You don't open the bag with one hand. No, that, that's the rule. You, you, you have to be able open, to do the. You eat it no. with, oh, is that I'm the sorry, rule? I'm changing we're the rule of the question. Yeah, well, how do you the open the burger bag with one hand? Better. You I, can I, open the, I can figure that out myself you can now open that the I think about bag it. With one hand. I, you, I, I can know. visualize myself driving <laughs> with one hand. Well, I open up the folded burger bag. Go. The box is even easier, right? I open that up with the other hand. The 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 the, the wrapper sits on my right knee. Exactly. Uh, and I'm conveniently lifting and and eating from there. Wow, the fact that I have that whole routine planned yep. out in my mind is Down slightly to sad art. to me. <laughs> Beautiful. I guess when you grow up in car culture, you yeah. just have to know how to okay, work. Okay, so around what's your system. thing that you can eat from? From table to grave. Uh, from ta- so if table it's, to if grave, it's cradle to grave, whatever you want to call it, with one open hand. As, if that's yeah. the new rule, the whole that we're thing has to be now. you can do everything with one hand. Mmm, corn dog. Corn dog, okay. Corn dog. Go to like A and W back in. The, I don't know if they still do. They used to have corn dogs at the drive-through at A and W. I don't know if you've ever been to an A and W. So, uh, would you say a corn dog is your favorite sandwich then? Shut the fuck up. <laughs> I will teach your firstborn how to smoke. <laughs> oh, we have fun. Yes, we do. But Benedict, why don't we just start a little bit this week? This, of course, for those of you who don't know, this is the show where we dig down deep. We dig down so deep into the garbage disposal of life, trying to dig out the dropped terribly destroyed and disgusting somewhat slimy avocado pit of right-wing thought that got dropped down there accidentally that's what we're looking for here on this show i I would just like everyone to know before we start today about how my day is going because i just tried to open the google doc uh and instead i just googled dogs which was you know (laughs) fine i guess but that's where my brain's at yeah, we're a little bit scrambled today. There's a lot going on. Uh, for me, you know, it's the last week of my law school career. Oh, my I gosh. am, I am do, 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 just do. a few weeks away from being, uh, not being a lawyer yet, right? No. I still have to pass the bar. But just a few weeks away from graduating law school and being done with this three-year-long journey I've been on. Uh, and so that's exciting for me. I'm pretty excited to almost be done. And at the same time, a little sad, yeah, a little yeah. wistful. I and I gotta say, this is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm erasing my hot take, what my hot take was gonna be for this week, and okay. I'm just replacing it with this now. Okay. Um, my hot take, sincerely, from the bottom of my heart, this show has helped me get through law school. Oh, I mean that. that. I mean that sincerely, Benedict. You're my Do best friend. Do you mean friend. that I? You're I my helped? best friend. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. Go, give me a second to give you the fucking compliment first, okay? okay? I'll You're stop my best friend. You for once. Yeah, oh. shut your fucking mouth, you dirty hippie. You're my best friend. I have spent more hours talking to you on a weekly basis than I do to any member of my family and most of my friends. Certainly, since I'm single now, anyone that I'm seeing, I spend more hours talking to you than anyone else. And this is very much my stress relief, despite the fact that I often get very worked up and angry over the (laughs) subject matter. Listen, pressure cookers have to give off steam sometimes, Kevin. Yes, yes, yes. But but honestly, this show, doing this show every week for I don't even know how long we've been doing it now, right? We a had a show time. we did before this, and we we've been podcasting together. I think going on about four or five years now, something since like 2016. that. Since 2016, yeah, since Trump's yeah, election, man, I think. 
it's been a long time. And mm-hmm. uh, and this show and, you know, the listeners, the patrons, especially, because, you know, we love the patrons more because you give us money. Uh, but, yeah. you know, every, then all this, it, it all helps me get around all the anxiety and frustration and, and everything that goes along with me being in college for way too damn long mm. and this giant monkey of a student loan debt hanging over my head. Uh, I don't think that... our patrons are going to help solve that, no, to be honest. No, I don't think our patrons are going to solve that problem, but they helped me forget it for a little while. Sure. Uh, but seriously, this show this show helps me get through everything I've been through over the last couple years, and I cannot thank our listeners and you, Benedict, oh. enough for everything. Kevin, that's very sweet. Look at that. Yeah. Isn't Kevin now, sweet, everyone? Write to Kevin and tell him how sweet Benedict, he is. What's your shitty hot take for this week? <laughs> <laughs> I hate this show. I can't believe you make me do it every week. <laughs> uh, no, so my actual my my actual hot take, and I think this one might annoy you. Maybe I've said uh-huh. this to you in person. Yeah, why before. do you think I called it shitty? <laughs> I think I've said this to you in person before, but it is my firm opinion that all sci-fi is fantasy set in space. Well, it, to some okay, to the extent. That what's I don't remember who said the the old saying right, but all uh, technology that can't be explained is magic or or whatever mm-hmm. uh, whatever the I don't remember what the exact uh, quote is right. Whoever said that, but yes, to some extent, yeah, that's true. And a lot mm-hmm. of sci-fi uses technology that very clearly would never be a real thing, right? The yeah. the Star Trek uh, food dispenser I can't remember what it's called, and somebody's some Trekkie who's a fan of the show is going to be mad at me for not remembering what the food dispensing thingy is called. Sure. Right, but but that kind of stuff obviously never true. But there's what, a lot of what sci-fi is a tele- out there. What's a teleporter if not a summoning circle? <laughs> Again, true. But there's a lot of sci-fi out there as well that just takes an existing technology or a possible technology to its mm-hmm. logical end. If you were to accelerate it along a path and continue down that way, so you might say that it creates a fantasy world based around the technology. <laughs> is what you might say i i understand what you mean by that but i will disagree (laughs) i literally this this was this was a hot take created in a lab you did this because you know i'm a sci-fi fan (laughs) (laughs) this was created in a lab to piss i also very much dislike fantasy it's not that i hate fantasy it's just not my jam right no kevin you love fantasy it's your favorite genre fuck off you dick Okay, now, what, as you're being nice to Kevin, also tell him that sci-fi is fantasy. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's Anyways. no way to reach me to tell me I'm wrong. So. <laughs> they can tweet at me. You and can I'll tell Kevin I'm wrong, but you. I won't. I won't. Uh, I won't. <laughs> I refuse to acknowledge it. Anyways, uh, I disagree. I disagree. You're 100 percent wrong. But let's move on. Benedict. What's on your bookshelf this week? On oh, my bookshelf this week is Infinite Country by Patricia Angel. Uh, it is about a. I feel well, like I've heard a, of that one. It's about it, it's a new book this year. It's about several things. I just started actually, but it's it's very good so far. Um, it's about a girl who is escaping from essentially like a, not a prison. She's been sent to like a nunnery for some reason, but as as a punishment for a crime that she did. And then, as you do, 
and, you do. And then it's also about like her family's journey to the U.S. and her mum's. You in the stole US. a loaf of bread. You're sentenced to religion. Pretty much, yeah. Um, but her mum's in the U.S. as an undocumented immigrant, and her dad is still in Colombia, and she's trying to get to Colombia in time. It's Colombia. It's a Bogota in time to catch her plane to go and see her mum in the U.S. And she was born in the U.S. So there's that whole complicated dynamic of she's technically a citizen, but none of the. Oh, rest- so this is a modern story. Yeah, yeah. I see. I had just assumed given the whole being sent to no, a nunnery no, as no, punishment no, no. thing that this was like a story from the 1700s no no modern story um but it's the complicated dynamic of her being a citizen and her parents not being or not having papers um so and then how does that play out and all that kind of stuff so it's a really short book it's under 200 pages but it's a really it's really interesting so far it's um, about 40 pages in i think well, fantastic. Yeah, what about you? What's on your book? I, this week, I have a selection that I I highly recommend, as I do with all my selections, of course. But of this course. one is something I, uh, I picked up recently on a recommendation from someone else, and I have found to be eminently uh, entertaining. A Libertarian Walks into a Bear. Oh, is this something you're Matthew telling me about? Matthew Hongold's Hetling. Yes, this book, because uh, it arrived when you were visiting me a couple weekends ago, and I, I told you about it then, uh, I hadn't had a chance to read it. I'm about halfway through it now, and this story is outstanding. It is the story of a group of people doing exactly what Glenn Beck claims he wants to happen, where a group of libertarians all moved to a small New Hampshire town named Grafton and started taking over the town and getting rid of all the laws. And of course... It was a bunch of fucking kooks, because that's what libertarians are. They wanted, you know, get rid of the age of consent laws, because they're also a bunch of pedophiles and uh, shit it's like that. It's actually uh, Sorry. Sorry, Benedict. I didn't know you would be offended by that statement. <laughs> Obviously, I wasn't. But, <laughs> but, so they start dismantling all the laws and regulations of this town, and it does not go well. Uh, as you can imagine from the title involving bears, bears come into the picture yes. <laughs> because they're no doing nothing about garbage. <laughs> because they can't agree about what to do with garbage. They won't pay someone to take away garbage. <laughs> they won't pay to take care of the dump. It, so it, bears come all over. they won't pay or is it that they don't want a central organizing system? Like everyone, everyone should have if, to pay. Because if government, yes, because it should be everyone contracting with individuals to take care of the garbage themselves. So everyone's individual responsibility is to get rid of their own exactly. garbage. And then guess what? People don't fucking do it. <laughs> exactly. It's so wonderful. And here's the thing. We talked, uh, I think, on Patreon only from last month uh, that you have never read Atlas Shrugged. Ugh. Um which, which at some point we're gonna we talked about we're either gonna have to make you read it or we're gonna have to watch the movies they made, which are supposed to be delightfully terrible. Uh, so I think that might be the route we're going. But in Atlas Shrugged, like one of the the central component of this this book is that all of the heads of industry, all these libertarian titan heroes, they all just leave society and disappear and go to this valley out in the middle of nowhere where because they're all such geniuses and so great and their libertarian ideology is so perfect at creating a system that runs flawlessly. It's a paradise in the wilderness where everyone is contributing what they're good at. There's a guy who has a gold mine because he's a gold mining genius and there's a a train lady who's the train person of the book 
That's what she's all about. And there's all these other people who are blabbity blibbity blue. And it's this wonderful garden paradise. And these libertarians, I'm 100% sure, all thought this would be what would happen when they created their libertarian paradise. And the reality is they're living in garbage in rundown trailers in the middle of a field where they dragged them and left them because they're all miserable <laughs> failures and their governmental ideology or ideology of non-government is a failure as well great it's spectacular it's absolutely wonderful i recommend this book to everyone <laughs> and and the guy who wrote it is way more fair to these people than i would be he doesn't call them names like i would he is eminently polite in in his writing about them, despite you the fact that he these fucking idiots. He, I, that's all I'd be writing. All oh, these fucking morons. He occasionally throws in a little bit of like a a subtle jab, right, where he he refers to how much they love logic, and he'll just throw in a sarcastic how logical or something every now and then. So he's got a little bit of that in there, but he's he's so fair to them, treats them like actual human beings, which I would not be capable of doing if I was writing this book. I would just have to rip in them but it's it's a it's such a great book it's so entertaining so go check it out it came out uh late last year sometime so it's out there in hardcover check it out if you're interested anyways on to housekeeping this week remember to rate and review us on itunes follow us on all of the social medias and of course we have a new patron only bonus episode that'll be coming out soon uh, i don't know if we'll actually get it done before the end of the month but our patrons know how we roll mm. uh, it'll probably be coming uh, uh you know the 30th is this friday maybe we'll get it by the end of the month we'll see how things go see, i see i see benedict <laughs> looking at me like that uh don't 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 talk to the patrons like that don't be rude no i love uh, the patrons i just i i know that they know me and we have this intimate relationship <laughs> with our patrons and they they know what's up so they know we're catfishing them <laughs> uh <laughs> benedict with that out of the way we return to our book review of arguing with socialists by glenn beck the man ben shapiro took home from home depot in a plastic bag <laughs> benedict <laughs> What do we read this week? Well, Kevin, this week we read the second half of chapter four, in which the years between 1929 and 1942 are wiped from the historical memory no, without a trace. they do not exist. They do, do not exist. Do not exist. At all. It's December 31st, 1929. December, no, January 1st, 1942. That's the next day. The well, remember, 1920 day. and 1921 partially exist as well. Oh, that's true. Uh, yeah, in yeah. this universe. But only this, to this. prove Glenn's point. Yes, exactly. exactly. Those, we'll get, those years, we'll actually, to. did you know they only did those years so that Glenn Beck could later write a book about those years <laughs> and how they proved and, his point? And here's the funny thing. That's basically what those years do exist for. <laughs> that really is Glenn Beck's intentional misunderstanding of what happened in 1920 and 1921. Love That's it. why those years are there. It's wonderful. It's really great. So if you forgot over the last several weeks of us not doing a new chapter, Benedict's fault. Yeah, that's uh, true. You <laughs> see my mayor culpa from last week. Yeah, well, did they? Did they really? No, they heard it. They didn't see it. Well, that's true. But what we've been talking about in this chapter, chapter four, this is all about the many failures of socialism. And so far, right, he's been running through different examples with us. And this is something I was glad to see, right? Because typically, he never gives us examples. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he yeah, just, fair enough. 
uses vague phrases in it about policies. And that's something that, you know, we continue to get through the rest of this chapter, and we'll get through the rest of the book, where he doesn't mention any specific policies. He just says failed policies over and over mm-hmm. again. But this time, at least he gave us some examples of countries. Now, they were terrible examples, and most of them involved dictators. <laughs> yeah, and the, en- uh, and, the, well, and the we- ends, ends of civil wars. And then he's like, well, yeah. the Socialist Party won the war. And then, uh, well, during the war, they had murdered a bunch of their political opponents. So, you know. You know, not to uh, say that stop. murdering your political opponents is ever good, but it, there's always not. a, there's always a, I mean, it happens in civil wars. That is a thing yes. that's yes. fairly inevitable, unfortunately. So to, to start off this chapter, of course, he gave us the examples of Angola, Cambodia, yep. China, of course, got to throw that one in there, Cuba, mm-hmm. uh, and then ended with Nazi Germany. Where yeah, we I'm now looking at famous... the, the previous page being like, ever wonder why the Nazi flag <laughs> is red? Yes, I know. And we talked plenty, of course, about how, uh, you know, Hitler fucking hated communism and hated mm-hmm. socialists and mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. that shit. And how the night of the long knives, etc. Fucking et canard uh, that the right tries to claim that the, the Nazis were, were socialists. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we move on, of course, to North Korea. Another That's famous socialist with country. Yep. This week. Now, North Korea obviously is a communist country, although differing variously from the other established communist nations that have existed across the the, the world in yeah. pretty important ways with the Juchi ideology and the Yeah, and the fact the that kings. they have an inherited dictatorship. Yes, yes. <laughs> Which no <laughs> I don't think any other communist <laughs> country has had, right? I mean, Certainly not been... a, a tri-generational inherited so communist dictatorship. I think North Korea is fairly unique in that. Yeah, I can't Castro, think of, I guess. I mean, Castro tried to pass off power to his brother. Well, he did, and then his brother resigned this week, right. actually. Right. Um, uh, but not not a tri-generation, not a, you know, grandfather to father to son. That, that, I don't think that has happened anywhere else. Yeah. And, of course, I have to mention at the beginning of this second half of the chapter review that, of course, remember, none of us want any of this yeah that's the thing i've written i I keep getting tired of writing that like yes obviously this is bad yeah yeah uh so we begin of course he's telling us about how terrible north korea is plenty of people have died in north korea and and here's the thing that's that's always interesting when you talk about north korea uh yes obviously north korea has committed plenty of atrocities killed plenty of people but you do get these wild things that come out of right like spin uh spin tanks in south korea that are trying mm-hmm. to make the north look even worse and it's like dude you guys don't have you don't have to claim that they Literally tied people up in truth. a stadium and shot them with artillery shells when that was a, a famous hoax that was perpetrated a couple years ago when uh like I, I, it, and and there's been plenty of times when like um i don't remember who runs the dprk news twitter handle or whatever oh, that's, yes. that's a parody account that a bunch of places keep forgetting is a parody account yeah, yeah. And, and claiming is putting out real news. Anyways, he cites Human Rights Watch, talking about how terrible it is in North Korea. It's always funny to me when people, like, especially Republicans, Libertarians, who, if, they, if Human Rights Watch criticizes America, they're mm-hmm. like, how dare you? This is fake news. And then they're like, I would like to cite Human Rights Watch in my figures. <laughs> like, okay, mean- I mean, fine. You can't have it both ways, though, like. 
You mean like on July 2nd, 2019, when Human Rights Watch released its report, We Can't Help You Here, U.S. Returns of Asylum Seekers to Mexico, which condemned the U.S. return of asylum seekers yeah. to Mexico and Central America? Didn't, in, didn't they find that every asylum seeker that had been sent home had been murdered or something? It was, there was they, One of the reports did that, I think. I they found that a serious number of them, a large number of them had been murdered, nowhere near a majority, but a large number of them were placed back into potentially dangerous and unlivable conditions after being sent. Uh, yeah. There was also one they released in September 4th of 2019. When we're dead and buried, our bones will keep hurting. Workers' rights under threat in U.S. meat and poultry plants. I'm sure Glenn wouldn't like that one very much. But I, I am, I'm saying that because I agree with you. They don't get to cite Human Rights Watch. Yeah. Human Rights Watch is an amazing organization which has had failures in the past of not picking, right? They can't do everything, right? They've, they've missed stuff. They've not called out things when maybe they should have. They're not a perfect organization, but it's an amazing organization of great people trying to call out human rights abuses wherever they can. You, you know what I love? That, you know what I love about this show is that I can make an absolute drive-by <laughs> point of like whatever thought has happened to have flitted into my head live, and you will have done the research and have receipts. And I'm yes. like, that's amazing. That's, that's the dynamic that's, we have. Essentially, buddy. I'm so like, oh yeah, I thought of this just now. Probably something there. And then Kevin's like, yes, actually, if you look back at 2018, Kevin deserves a lot of credit for this show, folks. Well. I, I did that primarily because Glenn, uh, of course, you know, I don't want to give him any credit whatsoever when he pulls out massive block quotes to fill page space. But also, Glenn put this block quote in the, uh, 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 the, the chapter this week, which says, quote, Human Rights Watch also notes that North Korean students have reported that government officials have forced them to work without pay in the country's farms. Mm. In some cases, students have been required for to work for between 10 to 16 hours per day. The students say that they've been told one of the primary reasons they need to work on farms is to help pay the salaries of school staff. I'm 100% sure Glenn Beck has said repeatedly that college students should be forced to work their way through fucking college. Oh, yeah, I'm sure that's true. And the other thing is also, like, there's... A th okay, I'm not comparing the two systems. I'm not but I am going to. I'm, I'm going. Either. I'm going to a little sideways. bit. No, I know. But... So he goes, oh, there's 120,000 people currently serving in various North Korean prison camps. And I'm not saying a prison camp is the same as a U.S. prison, but they're not mm -hmm. not the same. Yeah, like, you're, you're, not, you're not wrong there. Yeah, I mean, forced labor. Yeah, <laughs> unpaid, forced, dangerous labor, which is often like firefighting when California mm -hmm. is on fire. And, yeah. oh, we'll pay you 10 cents for the hour because actually we don't yeah. actually have to pay you because it's essentially... Yeah. And then that's, that's promoted as, like, giving them job opportunities. And then, of course, when they get out of prison, they can't get a job. No, a because they have a record. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That kind exactly. of bullshit. So anyway, yeah, I'm just, I will just note at this point that the U.S. is the most highly incarcerated uh, developed nation in the world. And that's all I'll say. <laughs> yes, that's true. So he, of course, cites uh, that, you know, of course, they have, they have fake news up there. State-run oh. media, news outlets, the obvious Fox News parallel is there, of course, that they're just parroting whatever the dear leader wants you to think. Hey, we just had four years out of Trump. Who would have thought such a thing could have happened? Mm. But also, he has this line, or this, this paragraph, rather. It's very weird. The unicorn thing? Well, the unicorn thing I just think is funny, right? Because you do get those weird stories out of North Korea. And I did find the article he's referring to, right, where in 2012, the North Korean state news agency claimed that they had found uh, a unicorn lair, right? Or, the yeah, the Guardian uh, uh, reprinted that or whatever. 
I don't know if they just picked up on something, a, a, a spoof that somebody put out on there. I didn't dig into it too much. It's dumb. But yeah. the one I was actually talking about was about uh, the, 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 the working on farms and stuff like that, right? Mm. So when he talks about working on farms and stuff, I, and remember, all of this that he's doing, He's comparing this to what he believes the left in the United States wants. And I have to wonder, because, right, this is another thing that happened in Cambodia, in China, in the Soviet Union, the collective farms idea, mm-hmm. right? There was a bunch of collective farmers, collective farming organizational programs uh, that all those, co- those countries did. Does he really think that the East Coast college elitists who he thinks the entirety of the left is, who supposedly hate blue-collar work, want to force everyone onto collective farms? Does he think that's something we want? Yeah, Even I mean, in his bullshit little world he lives in? It's odd, isn't it? Like, land reform isn't really one of the big priorities of the U.S. left. No. Like, it, it, it often is a leftist priority because often leftism evolves in a agra- predominantly agrarian societies right. as as there's a difficult transition between urbanization and rural rural farmers essentially and that that's one of the friction points where an aggressive leftism can arise but modern leftism certainly in the west isn't really that it's hey don't bill me five thousand dollars for an ambulance ride down the road <laughs> yeah. like it, there are very different priorities between agrarian leftism which does exist in much of the developing world you see it especially in latin america and you see it in mexico in the early 20th century and and all that that's all agrarian land reform but that's not really a priority amongst the european and north american left i would suggest well and pretty often <clears throat> it's in a post-colonialist era too right where they're yeah also where the former with... ruling classes still own a lot of the right. of, of the highly valuable land yes that's exactly true. and so you know in the soviet union taking it away from the former ruling classes there in sorry most of ru- South i say America, i say ruling classes central africa con- con- conquering classes not right. not ruling ruling classes right. is the wrong way of or saying even that. in some cases right the colonizers the, the classes that were favored by the colonizers who were given Often. more land and things who were then left when the colonizers leave right or in the case of many south american nations you're talking about the foreign country the foreign uh, companies who owned mm-hmm. a lot of the land and yeah, vul- vulture, vulture capitalism as well is a, right. is a huge issue there. So anyways, we move on. North Korea, whatever. They've killed a lot of people, sure. obviously. yes. North Nobody Korea. likes North Korea, Glenn. You know, I, I'm going to go out on a limb <laughs> and, and feel free to vilify me, but North Korea is bad, generally. Yeah, yeah. I don't think even the tankiest of tanky is out there supporting North Korea. Yeah. I really don't. I really I mean, don't some think of, so. Some of them do, definitely. I I don't know, man. I, I think you'd be hard-pressed. Maybe not support, but there's definitely a lot of North Korea's not as bad as all that. Sure. Maybe there's some of those out there, but, mm-hmm. but certainly but I don't think... But speaking of tankies... <laughs> Next, the Soviet Union, of course. And this is, I think, probably the longest um, section in the in the chapter mm. under you know his, his many examples. It's about... Uh, four pages no it's long. it's two and a half pages and a, a whole page of it is on the genocide that he thinks no one knows about for some reason <laughs> yes yes the ukrainian famine uh so yes of course the soviet union we all know what killed a lot of 
people duh like imprisoned a lot of people much like the u.s again yeah everyone fucking knows this man like we all fucking know this. we all know what a gulag is that is literally it has come into common parlance everyone knows what a gulag is absolutely and of course he cites the 40 to 70 million number of people who were supposedly killed under the soviet union the continuation Uh, of glenn's little black book by the way this is well, and at this point, if you add up all the numbers that he's put out throughout all these, he's already surpassed the total number of deaths that the little black book of communism attributes to communism. He's already surpassed that number. So I, he's just throwing stuff out here now. My recollection, because I, I didn't look it up in preparation for this week's episode, is that the 40 to 70 million number is the number that the black book gives for I think the Soviet is, yeah. Union. I think it but is. in other, all the other countries, he's been vastly inflating them. Uh, with disregard for his previous statement that the Black Book is the authority on the subject in order <laughs> to just have higher and higher numbers because that's that's what he's really after here. So, of course, a lot of this, like you said, is about the Ukraine. There's a whole page, a brain dump there, about what he calls Stalin's secret genocide, uh, which is not something I found it called in places other than right-wing circles, like Conservapedia, where I did find it used. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of people, you know, uh, he's quoting some people who grew up in the Ukraine talking about how bad it was. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we all know it's bad. Bad thing. Nobody's trying to starve anybody, Glenn. We're actually trying to give people food. Mm. That's what you are stopping. There, there's actually, and this is a bit of a tangent, so indulge me. Um, there's a really interesting, I think, I forget where it was. I think it was in the Atlantic when um, Christopher Hitchens reviewed Martin Amos's book and they were friends, but he reviews Martin Amos's book called Cuba. I think it was called Cuba the Dread or something like that, in which he accuses leftist intellectuals of cozying up to Stalin and being sympathetic to Stalin. And it, it, it led to a war of words. The, the initial review is really good because he's just like, what are you talking about? Like, there's been a huge reckoning on the left of like how we deal with someone like Stalin. And if you actually read any leftist literature, like all the Trotskyists obviously hate Stalin and Trotskyism <laughs> is the most prevalent. Anyway, whatever. It led to an article which was very funny. If They had a war of words and then Hitchens just wrote an article. And, you know, Hitchens obviously has his uh, issues that... Mm-hmm. We don't yep. need to go over here. But there is a great article that he wrote just that is don't period be period silly period, which is a direct, <laughs> direct response to Martin Amos. Uh, and it's it's a really good um, just takedown of like anyone that thinks that leftism is intrinsically linked to Stalinism in the way that like obviously National Socialism is obviously linked to the, what the Nazis did because it's a yep. very specific ideology, um, whereas leftism doesn't necessarily lead to stalinism and leftist thought is not intrinsically (laughs) linked to stalinist dictatorships and shouldn't be also absolutely well there is a point and you you said something about about elites like uh being cozying up to stalin there i will say that in the aftermath of the famine in the ukraine there were like the soviet union brought in celebrities from the West oh, yeah, to yeah, Ukraine no, to try no, no, and they, and they laundered of, their image absolutely right. And, they brought it like like Bernard Shaw went sure. and and said that yeah, he hadn't yeah, seen yeah, yeah, any starvation sure. or anything. Right? No, and I, I mean Castro does Castro did and does the same thing with yes, with Michael Moore. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and fucking Sean Penn. <laughs> fucking um, Sean Penn. God damn it, nobody likes yeah. that fucking guy. No, he and his boat full of guns from Hurricane Katrina can go uh, can go hang out with in Cuba. Uh, but he ends the Soviet section with this sentence. 
Americans have never experienced anything like what occurred in the Soviet Union in much of the 20th century, and God willing, they never will. To which I just wrote in large font, Native Americans, motherfucker. Yeah. We right. literally fucking starved them. Yep. Yep, yep. America, how do you define Americans? But cl- that's always the question. That, that's exactly the thing. And but just today, was it Rick Perry, I think? His his little video from a Young America's conference that he oh, spoke yeah, at. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Where he said Na- to- Native Americans haven't. No, it wasn't. I think it was Santorum. Yeah, Rick Santorum. You're right. Not Rick Perry. Rick Santorum. Uh, the dumber of the two Ricks. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's hard to It's hard. It's a, to it's a toss up. Really. It's a toss up. But he, he was speaking at a Young America's conference. Uh, I don't remember the name of that organization. Young Americas for Freedom, or they changed the name at some point in the past, and I can't remember what the fuck it is now. Uh, But he said, basically, you know, we created something out of nothing here. I mean, there were Native Americans, but there's not really a whole lot of Native American culture in the U.S. these days. Why is that, Rick? Because we fucking murdered them all. We did a genocide. Because we committed a fucking genocide. Yeah. We did that shit under a democratic capitalist country we committed a genocide under glenn beck's ideal because remember back in those days Mm -hmm. we had smaller government we were closer to glenn beck's idea of what the ideal form of government and economic system was so that sort of stuff shouldn't have happened if glenn beck is right about how all this shit is caused by socialism. I mean, all, all of that to say nothing of slavery also. Uh, talking about <laughs> Americans have never been forced to work in prison camps. Oh, really? <laughs> really? Of course, he, he did throw in the caveat in the 20th century. Yeah, yeah, So, yeah, you know, yeah. it's, not, it's not like the, the mass murder of African Americans in the South or Native Americans continued after the 1880, 1899 turned into 1900. That all stopped right then. We didn't have any of that continuing onwards. Yeah, yeah, obviously. Motherfucker. Anyways, next country we get, Romania. Super weird, this one. Just like, yeah, Ceausescu <laughs> was bad. Again, yes, Ceausescu was bad and broadly reviled, yes. And also, his one, like, semi-good point is, oh, you don't want the government being able to control whether you can get birth control or not. Like, don't you, Glenn? <laughs> that seems like something that you would want. I don't know. Uh, to be fair, I don't know Glenn's position no, on birth I know. control. Fair enough, fair I, I'd have to imagine that he's probably a hypocrite and goes against his libertarian principles because he's a pretty hardline right-winger on all social issues. Uh, yeah. So I'd, I'd have to imagine that he's not consistent there with his, his libertarian uh, uh, stuff. But and there's a brain dump here. Just a quote from the Lo- Los Angeles Times, not worth getting into. Yeah, you're right. Ceausescu, <laughs> no, again, dude got shot for a reason. Nobody fucking liked the guy. This is a dictator thing, bro. Yeah. <laughs> All these countries, we're talking about fucking dictators. There's like two or three on his list that aren't either dictators or, well, actually, they're all post-Civil Wars, pretty much. Uh, uh, but Yeah, of some kind or another. Again, maybe one or two that aren't post-Civil Wars, but there's dictators. Like, they're either one or the other, right? There's all this shit going on. And then we get to, of course, Venezuela. Oh, of course, talk why about not? Venezuela. Do you, have you met... I have a, a friend. His name's Dinesh. Have you met his? Have you met his wife? Oh, is that Debbie? She's, Debbie D'Souza? She, yeah, she's Venezuela. She's from Venezuela. Yeah, 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 she's yeah, from yeah. Venezuela. Yeah, you know about yeah. that? No, you know uh, that? I'd heard it. I think I'd heard it. Okay, uh, but of course he's already told us. He tells us right up front. He's already talked in detail about Venezuela's economic chaos, which I have to assume his idea of detail is far different than my idea of fucking detail. <laughs> what do you want? Footnotes? Are you kidding? 
yeah, maybe some citations, maybe some actual descriptions rather than vague words like policies. Just policies. Mm. They have bad policies. You know he what, Kevin? Le- you know what? You know what they had? Bad ideas. Bad ideas. He has the same capacity for description as Trump did. He really mm-hmm. does. They have nothing beyond the surface. Just paper thin. Just surface level. Absolutely no depth. Stretched as far as Trump's hair. I mean, here, let me let me read this this quote from this sentence. As bad as things have become in Venezuela, riots, starvation, political instability, hyperinflation, it's very likely the worst has yet to come for Venezuelans, who continue to watch helplessly as the self-described socialist leaders of the nation destroy the country's economy and impose countless totalitarian policies. The economic destruction created by the costly socialist programs, irresponsible spending practices, and government regulations and price controls imposed by Maduro and former President Hugo Chavez grew so dire that even before the current political chaos, child malnutrition became widespread. Not a single hint of fucking detail. It's all policies, programs. There's no fucking detail there. Yeah, I mean, he did go over it before, but also, I mean, just the refusal to acknowledge that American sanctions play a big part in in crippling the economy of these countries. Absolutely. As we will get to in our next example... Vietnam. There you go. Which, so, um, Kevin, where can you just? Sorry, this is about a page long, and I don't see any mention of the My Lai massacre. No, nope, don't see any mention of that. No. I also don't see any mention of uh, U.S.-backed dictator of South Vietnam. Uh, uh, well, I don't remember which one of the DM brothers was it. Ah, uh, fuck it. Uh, uh, whatever. Yep, the the DM brothers who killed plenty of people. I also don't see any mention of the fact that despite Richard Nixon's promises and the Paris Accords, that he did not open trade with Vietnam as promised and led them to starvation. And it's it's so funny to me, because, yeah, he gives us about a paragraph about Vietnam here. And... There is so much more. It's it's the it, most it, interesting Viet, one. Vietnam it's just because America <laughs> lost a war with Vietnam. He doesn't Vietnam, want to dwell on it too long. Well, Vietnam is so much more complicated than Glenn thinks it is. Because I, I love, right, I've been to Vietnam. I love it as a country. I love it as a, a, a source of study. You know, it's something I, I studied Southeast Asian politics in undergrad. That was my focus. And I absolutely love the region. I love studying it. And there's so much interesting shit that goes on there, especially when you get into sort of the conflict from Vietnam invading Cambodia and mm-hmm. taking Pol Pot out of power and stopping the genocide there, which in part was in Vietnam's own self-interest because they then allowed international food aid into Cambodia, which, although they did stop the, the famine that was going on in Cambodia by leaving enough there that people weren't starving to death like they had been before took a shitload back home to Vietnam because mm-hmm. they were under sanction by the United States and every United States ally, and they were also at war with China throughout the entire the 1980s, so China wasn't giving them any aid like they had during the Vietnam War. Russia was now isolated, didn't have land routes to get to them, was more... Co- it's, it's such a more interesting picture than Glenn paints it at. <laughs> Mm-hmm. In this, by just saying, uh, R.J. Rummel said that uh, about 1.6 million people died in Vietnam between the war and some after. Like, the literal quote is, The widely cited scholar R.J. Rummel estimated in 1994 the communist government in Vietnam had killed more than 1.6 million people in the 20th century, including many innocent civilians who were butchered following departure of the United States from the country towards the end of the Vietnam War. Yeah, <laughs> because- and towards the end, it, it, it was a civil war. Like, yes, right. like a lot of people died. It was very bad. Right. 
And and this is one of the cases where I do have to point out he's using a legitimate scholar for once. Mm-hmm. R.J. Rummel no, is an eminent political fine. scientist. Fine. Yeah. Yeah, for, I just have to point it out when he actually uses someone who isn't just a partisan hack. Yeah, it's just what people don't <laughs> engage with, though, isn't it? It's like you, like you can't mention without American mentioning American war crimes. Like, I mean, I guess you can, and you, that's how you get a book like this. But. <laughs> well, but he ends he ends the paragraph on Vietnam with this quote. The rationing continued well after the Vietnam War ended because of socialist bureaucrats' failure to manage food supplies. In an interview with German state-owned publication Deutsche Welle, Gerhard Will, an academic at the German Institute for International and Security Affairs, noted, quote, in the 1980s, the supply of food items was even worse than during war times. Yeah, because China wasn't helping and the U.S. had sanctions. Well, Benedict... Would it surprise you to know that I had found the article he's referring to and pulled it sure. up and in front of me? No, it, w- it would not surprise me, Kevin, because you're very thorough. And if you skip down one paragraph lower than the quote that Glenn Beck directly cited, you read, quote, However, the widespread poverty, malnutrition, and hunger were not an entirely homemade phenomenon. The 35 years of war had badly damaged the country's infrastructure. In 1972, the U.S. jets bombed the Delta levees of the Red River that almost destroyed Vietnam's rice production in the subsequent years. The matter is aggravated after Vietnam's ties turned sour with the People's Republic of China due to the split of the communist bloc into Soviet and Chinese camps. This ended the food supplies from Beijing. The Soviet bloc, which Vietnam had allied itself with, was unable to fill the food gap, said Will. So, Glenn, if right. you're gonna quote the guy, use quote the, the guy. whole fucking quote. Basic right. partisan hackery. That's all that was. Yep. Smoke and Glenn claims to be this independent guy. He's just looking at the facts. He just knows there's problems. And he's got solutions. And those solution... Sick, ah, remove policies. The S, policies. Remove the S. It's, it's solution. Those solution is... Get rid of taxes. No taxes. Policy. Policy. Regulations. Anyways, next one. Zimbabwe. And this is where we get into some fun territory. Because, Benedict, are you familiar with uh, Zimbabwean history? I am familiar. You should be as a proud Brit who, as I've mentioned Uh, on many of our previous episodes, is surrounded by Union Jacks, your apartment. (laughs) I I don't know how you get that much blue fabric. I really don't. (laughs) It's just everywhere. Uh, But Zimbabwe, in case you weren't aware, was preceded by an unrecognized nation called Rhodesia, Mm. named after Cecil Rhodes. Cecil. I'm sorry. (laughs) Make sure we get the racist's name right. Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) And Rhodesia in modern years is even more famous for being loved by white nationalists anywhere. If you recall the Charleston church shooter, uh, his famous photograph with his jacket with those two funky-looking flags on them, one was the South African flag, the other one the, was the, the Rhodesian South African flag. Yes, the other yes. one was the Rhodesian flag. Cool, cool, cool. Rhodesia is loved by white nationalists as a symbol of how when the white man is no longer in power, all these African nations just fail. That's part of why they love it so much. And yeah. in a brain dump on this page, he brings up Ian Kay, a farmer in Zimbabwe. And the I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's a couple paragraphs long. But basically, Glenn Beck is playing up the white genocide idea here on yeah, this page. Th- this was a big this was a big thing in um, in right wing circles a couple of years ago around the yeah. time of uh, uh, yeah. uh, 
Uh, it's a little after Charlottesville, but it's like the the farmers are having their land. The white farmers in Africa are having their land stolen. Mm-hmm. Essentially, was the was the big talking point. I think it was on Fox a bit and some other some other websites. Um, so yeah, yeah and, it's it, it's and, it, look, it's interesting. The... And I I remember this from the nineties. Like I remember oh, the yeah. criticism of Mugabe from when I was growing up of like just taking taking land from the former colonialists essentially (laughs) yeah and also yeah again mugabe bad bad person again bad guy bad guy but here's the thing buddy uh this guy ian k um he was he's up until a few years ago he was a member of parliament in zimbabwe he was one of the few white members of parliament in zimbabwe before zimbabwe existed as a nation however he was a member of the Rhodesian Special Forces, mm. which was out cool. there using chemical weapons on black people in Zimbabwe. Good stuff, um, good stuff. Not the greatest guy. So anyways, this is just, this whole thing, like, it focuses on the white genocide narrative. It focuses on talking about attacks against white farmers in Zimbabwe. That's what he focuses on here in this section, and it's... It's very, very, it's such, it, it, I don't even want to call it a dog whistle. It's, it's more like, come here, boy. It's just saying, come here, boy. That's, that's what we're getting at here. Yeah, he it's, ends, it's not great. And then we get the weirdest and pro- probably worst editing error of this book so far, where we have a tweet inserted from Neil DiCaprio Cortez. And I'll read you before the tweet and after the tweet so you understand how I didn't, I didn't get what the fuck was going on here. Before the tweet, the paragraph reads, quote, We've already discussed how without strong protections for individuals, democracies can be just as dangerous as dictatorships and other forms of government. See chapter 3. In the United States, Japanese Americans, African Americans, Mormons, Catholics, Chinese, and numerous other groups have at one point or another been... Then we get the tweet... At Glenn Beck, these are all examples of authoritarian socialism, not democratic socialism. Then Glenn continues, the victim of democratically elected governments that ignore the constitutional protections for individual liberty promised to these groups. He completely fucked up because yeah. every other I don't tweet know if he did or has book, edited it. Well, somebody did, but it's in both of our copies. So it's not just like I got a weird copy that had a misprint on it. But, you know, at some point, somebody fucked up along the way because every yeah. other tweet in this book has been at a point where he's. It's a call and response. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a call and response. The tweet replies, and then. Glenn, in his masterful way, eviscerates the stupid tweeter with the pink Mm -hmm. pussy hat on and shit like that. So, we get another brain dump on the side about socialism in Dallas, Texas, about a a commune that existed in, like, the 1850s for a year or two. It doesn't really matter. Very very much who cares. But we get, again, another page of him railing against democracy. That's what is, is really in here. Glenn Beck despises democracy and i'm not surprised by that in yeah sense. i mean it's the it's the usual tyranny of the majority stuff isn't it like if the majority decides that you should no longer exist then you know that doesn't mean they're correct right and that's apparently what increasing subsidies to the poor is mm, yeah, yeah, that, yeah that's the same that's the same thing as japanese internment and all that other stuff he brought up but we get a, a socialist fun fact here mm, right? i did not think this was fun and it's barely no. a fight this, yeah, and this doesn't jive with a lot of, of Glenn's other stuff, but it reads, quote, Even though most socialists find him to be as evil as all the dictators in this chapter combined, Donald Trump was also democratically elected. And yes, I hear you whining about the Electoral College. Maybe I'll destroy those arguments in the next book. 
I wouldn't be reading that book. Let me be honest with you. <laughs> no. <laughs> At but this can, point, can I this can disappointed I, with Glenn? I'm not reading his next book. Can I can I just a, a couple things on this socialist fun fact? First of all, I don't think people really think I mean Donald Trump is obviously bad, but I don't think people think he's as bad as every dictator combined. First no. of all. But then second of all, if I let me just read you the start of that again. Even though most socialists find him to be as evil as all of the dictators in this chapter combined. So Glenn is acknowledging that socialists think that all these dictators are evil yep. then? Is that what's yep. happening here? That's what's so, happening. Uh, and therefore, we probably don't want that to happen. Like, none of us are, like, out here being like, yeah, give me Ceausescu, daddy. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Okay, now we got to find a tanky who really wants Ceausescu to come come back. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so that's weird. And then we get into this bizarre defense of free markets, which nobody brought up free markets. Nope. And then he's just like, well, you know, democracy is bad, but free markets, well, they, you can't just yell at them. Like, well, yeah, we can actually. So, so here, and here's my thought. Here's my ahead. thought. Okay. If Glenn Beck's going on about this, how he wants he would be, because compl- remember, he has in the past in this book separated, when he talked about China, communism from uh, capitalism, right? Mm-hmm. He believes that China is a communist government with a capitalist economy. Yeah, he's like, yeah, they're culturally communist. Like, are they, though? Is that so a thing? He would then be completely fine, since he despises democracy so much, he'd be completely fine with a communist Politburo system as long as they had free market capitalism. Yeah. He'd, that'd be, that might actually be his ideal system. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. So, yes, we have Phil- this weird... Philosopher King that encourages <laughs> free markets. Like. Uh, philosopher uh, oligarchy that, yeah. <laughs> that supports free markets. Ph- philosopher kleptocracy. Yes, there we go. So, we get this, this, right, like you said, this weird defense of free markets that sort of comes out of nowhere. I can see how he gets there after he's been talking about socialism for this whole chapter. He, he would poop himself if he had to write about socialism any longer. But he starts off this, this little bit by saying that to blame free markets for societal problems like hunger is dumb. Because how free do you markets, solve it then? How do you well, solve it under a free market his system? His answer is you don't. Yeah. His answer exactly. is, you don't solve it. <laughs> I hate it. I, I hate it. Because, I, I mean, he, exactly that. He goes on to say, oh, well, you can't blame the system. It's the people living within the system. But people react to the system in which they're placed. And if everyone is able to say, oh, well, that's not my problem. Someone else will solve that problem. Then not enough people will try and solve the problem to actually solve the problem. That's why you need a government to step in. and Or a business. Fine. Whatever. It could be a business, potentially. But nobody, somebody has to step up and take but a, that but risk a business and that responsibility a business yeah, exactly have incentive. exactly exactly unless there's a government providing incentive right or, and he, or something so not he, worried about profit to do so what he says on that front is quote so to say free market capitalism is somehow morally deficient as a system just isn't true it's the people in the system who have failed the poor they're the ones who need to change by being more compassionate loving kind and generous Right. By maybe, for example, voting for leaders who will institute policies to help the poor? No. Is that a possibility, Glenn? No. Just give your money to charity. That's that's probably Ridiculous. what he's going for. So he goes on to say, right, well, you know, it's it's crony capitalism that's and corruption. That's what creates the unfairness. It's not the free market, because the free market helps everyone. 
It's the crony capitalists who are, this is the quote I picked out, unjustly picking winners and losers. And that's a quote I am so familiar with from my time as a right-wing shitbag, and also from hearing my dad say it all the time. Uh, <laughs> right, when we went to, uh, my mom got a Tesla uh, a couple years ago now. We went to the dealership to pick it up, and for some reason my dad wanted to shit on solar panels that he knows nothing about, and I'll... California had just passed a law that required solar panels to be put on all new houses. But, uh -huh. And my dad's like, oh, it's just picking winners and losers. And so I had what? to explain to him how the current system we had already picked a winner by putting in place the infrastructure that supported traditional coal and gas-powered plants and other forms of electricity generation, and this was simply pushing forward new, better technology, to which yeah. he just said, well... I just don't like picking winners and losers. That's all he had to go back to. So Yeah, classic. Also, I mean, Te Tesla was a famous government-picked winner, which was complete, <laughs> com completely bailed out by the 2009 bailout package. Absolutely. The same, the same one that, the, well, I mean, Solyndra went bust in the end, which was like the, I, th I forget what exactly they did, but it was another solar tiny, technology. Tiny, tiny percentage of the money that was handed out in the stim that the, the, the stimulus that Solyndra was involved in, right? Uh, mm -hmm. actually returned a profit to the government on all those loans that were given out. Yeah, yeah. Solyndra was a tiny portion of that that failed. And some of the companies that got that money, of course, they did fail. But the right wanted to turn it into a giant symbol of how this program was all just nothing. It was all garbage. It was but all but I'm, pre failures. I'm pretty sure Tesla was used as an example by Romney in the 2012 campaign of one that had failed, which is hilarious. Yes. <laughs> Given that it is now the leading electrical vehicle manufacturer. Also, Tesla the man, another famous failure. Uh, <laughs> I love when people try, the, the conspiracy-minded people, even on our own side, on the left, who will get really big into Tesla, but he knew how to give free energy to everyone, man. He knew how, he had, he had towers and stuff that were going to send free energy to your house, man. It's like, no, that's not how that technology works, man. You still got to... You still got to generate power, and that's an incredibly dangerous technology that he he understood could do a thing. He understood how induction worked, but that technology would not work on the scale he was trying to do it on. This podcast brought to you by Thomas Edison Industries. Yes, it is. Uh, Edison Power. <laughs> Who's Who are you signing your electric bill to, Benedict? <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to keep your power on at home. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but anyways, we get another thing I picked up out of this little section here, where... And we've gotten this a little bit before, but I don't think I've ever mentioned it. How whenever he talks about the government doing anything, he mm -hmm. phrases it in the terms, and this is something that the whole right does, they phrase it in the terms of government power. Right? It's always yeah. about government power. He said, Crony capitalism, as we already discussed in Chapter 2, only exists when government has too much power. Mm. Take that power away from government through federal and state reforms and potentially new constitutional amendments, and cronyism will disappear along with it. So, the constitutional amendment part in there obviously caught my eye because he's, I don't know what he's calling for because, of course, there's no detail along with that. I'm hoping maybe we get some proposals throughout the rest of this book for what sort of constitutional amendment he would want no. to see. But the phrasing of government power will continue through the rest of this chapter whenever he talks about the government doing anything. Even when we're talking about welfare programs, he frames welfare programs as government power. Yeah. That's, that's consistent throughout the rest of this chapter. But we move on, right, from this little defense of capitalism to learn 
from him that, of course, people in market-based economies and free market capitalism, they're happier, they're wealthier, they're better off than just about anybody else. And the example he goes to mm -hmm. is India. <laughs> yep. And also does not does not mention uh, Sweden or uh, all of Scandinavia. No, no, no. That's going to be entire entirety of next chapter, though. Yep. But very after weird. the beginning of this India, we get another one of these weird, full very, very splash weird. page. Just two pages before the end, just like Glenn Beck's face on a whole page, yeah, looking just a kind of constipated, honestly. Giant splash page with just a one-sentence quote on one side, and then, yeah, a couple of drawings of his face on the other, and it says, Can you show me one place that has had a similar record of success by relying on socialism? And at least this time... As compared to remember the last time when we couldn't figure out what the fuck it was doing where it was, <laughs> we know that he's referring to India this time because he's talking about how great India's been since they got rid of all that socialism and went full-on capitalist. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends how you define socialism, doesn't it, as always? Well, that's true. But, so we get to the next tweet, which is by Professor Tweed at Check Your Privilege, Please, and he says, quote, the only reason capitalism has been even moderately successful is because of socialist programs, regulations, etc. If government had more power, see, that's where it comes back for mm -hmm. me, and that's how he's phrasing it through the mouth of the other side, things would be much better. Sure. So he now tells us how all that government power is a bad thing. It's actually terrible. So he goes back to an argument he's made before, right? Starting off with how uh, LBJ's Great Society programs were a massive failure and the national poverty rate's the same as it was in the 60s. Mm. Uh, not true, basically. We've been over that before. And also he talks about the Roaring Twenties. You know yeah, which famously ended were? really well. Yeah, famously ended quite well. He was like the... the, the be <laughs> so essentially what he says is the biggest period of american economic growth ever happened in the roaring 20s bet nobody's ever told you about those and there was no government restriction on anything then and it was amazing and then he's like Absolutely. and then uh well i mean it's it, it's a while till we get to it but then on the next page he's well <laughs> essentially stuff happened. stuff happened yeah he's like and then some stuff happened and then it was 1935 and the government was intervening in the economy and the unemployment rate was 27 percent like okay dude hold on Let's okay. 1929 is when the Great Depression started, first of all. And then he's like, he's citing figures. So he goes, during the first full year of the Great Depression, 1930, unemployment hit 88.7 percent. And I've skipped over some stuff that I'm sure we'll come back to. Yep. But then he says, in 1932, unemployment soared to 23.6 percent, and it remained above 20 percent through 1935. Yeah, because. Roosevelt came to power and tried to solve the Great Depression crisis, which was created by Herbert Hoover's lack of intervention in the problem in the first place and was exacerbated by the fact that there were no safety nets at the time to catch the economy that was falling like a fucking knife but well, roosevelt Benedict, came to Benedict. hold on hold on i am not done <laughs> roosevelt <laughs> came to roll. power <laughs> roosevelt came to power in march 1933 so citing figures from 1932 as an example of a failure of government <laughs> intervention in saving the economy does not work my friend and then he's like oh and you know when defense spending tripled in 1942 only then was uh, the See, economy brought back to life what, I what? To hold you who? from getting to who? That's what Who? I wanted to hold you off from getting okay, here. We'll get okay. back to that. We'll sure. get back to that. Who's spending first, the money? Who's first, spending the defense money? <laughs> first, Benedict, 
We have to talk about the, how the recession of 1919 to 19, or I'm sorry, 1920 to 1921 completely disproves that any socialist policies, i.e. any government spending whatsoever in Glenn Beck's eyes, you know, you can know, in Kevin, any way help the economy do you or know have a why? positive impact. Do you know why that recession was less bad? than the Great Depression. I, in fact, do. I okay. did a great deal of reading on sure. this because this blew my fucking mind. Do, do you know what the easy answer is? Uh, because it was a, a, a caused by a deficiency in aggregate demand, or yes. aggregate supply, not aggregate demand. Exactly. And also, just quite simply, because it was a way less bad recession yes. than the Great Depression, which was the worst recession ever in America. Yes. Yeah. So he's going to, he spends a little bit of time here, right? We, I don't want to gloss over anything because this part is so great. This is the yeah, only I'll part let you of the go. I've had my like, rant. You go. I was you like, go. this is fun. This is fun it was stuff. Fun. I'm enjoying I was yelling fun. at the book. It was bad. So starting with the 19, where he talks about the night, the roaring 20s, right? Mm -hmm. he and he cites specifically how unemployment rarely went above 4% and the total US economy yeah. <laughs> grew by 42%. Until it went to 25%. Like. <laughs> Well, that's true, Benedict, but also I'd like to point out that poverty rates in the 1920s were massive. Some of the estimates I found say as high as 60% of the United States lived at or below the poverty line, if you adjust it for today's standards. So, maybe it's not completely fair to say that poverty standards of the 1920s can be adequately compared to modern-day poverty standards, because a lot of people were subsistence farmers, and that's who we're talking about in a lot of these cases, but in general... People were living pretty shit lives outside mm -hmm. of those glamorous Gatsby parties that we all saw in the fun movie, right? <laughs> I like the Redford one. Don't like yep. the other one. I don't like that book or anything about it anyways. But, yo, know, if I have to pick one, I'm going with Redford. Uh -huh, Redford's uh -huh, a classic. Uh -huh. He's a man. He's a man's man. Okay. But anyways, died in a swimming pool. Oh, I just ruined the book for everyone. Uh -huh. oh, yeah, you should have read it in 1960. Anyways, so he's he's... Claiming that it was so great in the 1920s. Then, of course, we know. In 1920, the United States had this recession that completely disproves that federal, federal government spending has a positive impact on the economy. And that it can do anything to help get us out of recession. In fact, what it proves is that cutting spending and doing everything to create a more free market is what actually fixes the economy in a recession. Mm. Now, Bennett, as you mentioned, as we talked about... This, this recession that he's talking about is completely different than the recession of the, you know, the Great Depression and the 2007 recession. Mm -hmm. Vastly different. And this is How something so, I don't Kevin, get to tell say Tell me about it. In this case, Milton Friedman and Paul Krugman agree on the wow. cause and the solution of the 1920s recession. Tell me. Preach. <laughs> and neither of them agree with Glenn Beck. Sure. That sounds right. Yes. So basically, there was a monetary policy issue with the Fed, which is fairly new at the time, trying to fight inflation. And we had a massive deflationary depression at the mm -hmm. time. In addition, the Europe was recovering from World War One. Mm -hmm. So their agricultural products were finally going back up to their normal levels. Exports going out of the United States dropped. Imports rose. We had a depression on those terms. It resolved itself pretty quickly after the Fed stopped with its uh, stop trying to fight inflation and things sort of equalized. Yeah, reached an equilibrium, you might say. Found right. a new natural balance. And 
All this downsizing of government that he's talking about, that, that Glenn cites in this, about how it actually helped to solve this depression, happened before the depression even started in 1920. Mm. Most of the downsizing of government was caused under the Wilson administration, before the 1920 recession even started. And sure. they actually expanded the tax base to raise revenues in 1921 under the Harding administration. Again, mm. Warren G. Harding, widely regarded as one of the worst presidents of the United States ever. Either way, doesn't matter. So this recession, basically everyone agrees, nothing like the Great Depression, nothing like uh, the recession of 2007. And mm -hmm. they all, all the economists also basically agree that government spending wasn't the solution to that type of of recession because of what caused it and what this how it fixed itself so mm -hmm. but then benedict we mm. get to like you were talking about the great depression which we do sort of jump straight from 1920 to the great depression yeah <laughs> because he doesn't want to talk about where the great depression comes from he just wanted to talk about what republicans love to say which is always that this these Liberals who come in after Republicans cause the depressions, because that's usually how it goes. If you look yep. at the cycle we continually have, it's always the Democrats, the liberals, somebody more to the left coming in after re recession starts shit. under yeah. a Republican. Look at the cycles. But, of course, they just slow things down. It's all their actions that slow the recovery, even though they yeah. don't have an objective measure of how fast a recovery should be. And, in fact, more spending, it's generally acknowledged by economists, it's the consensus view, would have fixed the recessions faster. For yeah. both the Great Depression and the 2007 recession. That's the consensus view. But mm -hmm. the sentence you were reading, which was the greatest... Because he spends a couple paragraphs saying that all this about how government spending hurts Slowed it recovery, down. Slows recovery from a recession. You need to cut spending. You need to cut the size of government. That's what solves it. And he ends his discussion of that with this. It wasn't until defense spending tripled in 1942 because of World War II that America finally recovered from the economic downturn. <laughs> Quis, How dumb quis do you custodian, ipsos custodes. Like, I, you wrote <sighs> those words, Glenn. You wrote who who was doing that spending? Like you essentially, said, there. exactly. Who essentially, was doing essentially that what what he says there is, well, you know, government spending really slows down recessions, and it wasn't until government spending tripled in the uh, in the nineteen forties that we actually ended the recession. So, uh, hold on. That's not he, way. he just disagreed with himself, yeah, right? Yeah, in the same sentence. He didn't he's, even finish the sentence and start a new thought. He's really saying FDR needed to spend more. That what he's agreeing with the, the recession would have been economists. over quicker if he had spent more. <laughs> yes, that is correct. Yep. yep, that's exactly what it is. Right, he continues on with a little bit of nonsense after that. Nothing worth really talking about much, right? He says, only the way socialists believe you can fix anything is by increasing their power over the economy rather than providing market incentives. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason why, apparently, socialism devolves into tyranny and violence. That doesn't make any sense in my mind, but whatever. We get to the final tweet of the chapter, which is from Neil DiCaprio Cortez. And it reads, just because socialism hasn't worked well in some countries doesn't mean it's flopped everywhere. You've been intentionally ignoring the places where socialism has worked, nations like Denmark, Norway, and Sweden. And Glenn's going to tell us, oh boy, those countries, they're not, they're, they're not actually socialists. So we can have those, I guess. I guess we're allowed to have those. Uh, 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 no, we we're not. You Sweden. know we're not. 
Can we have you know a Sweden in the we U.S.? No, we can't. Kevin. All I want, can we have a Norway? Can we no. at least have a Norway? No, no I, Norway I for like you until Norway. you've eaten your vegetables. God damn it. I, I, but I hate peas. I hate peas. <laughs> you hate peas? So, Sorry, I hate, Kevin. <laughs> I know, no, I know defense spending peas. got us out of the recession. But. <laughs> but yes, of course, we're going to learn in the next chapter, which is titled Swedish-style socialism, that in fact, none of the Scandinavian nations are in fact socialist. And I think, Benedict, because I, I read over that chapter in advance of, of the next uh, episode we'll be doing, I think we're finally going to have some real fun in that Huzzah. chapter. Because there's was some fun. really plain falsehoods in that chapter that I think are going to be fun to go through. But I will, as I always do, read the final paragraph of this chapter, which is, quote, I'm glad you brought up so-called Scandinavian socialism, though. Perhaps more than anything else, the myth that countries like Denmark, Norway, and Sweden are perfect little socialist paradises has fooled people into believing socialism can work. The truth, however, tells a much different story. Dot, dot, dot. He actually ends with dot, dot, dot. Of course he does. He's a boomer. the chapter. (laughs) I love it so much. But Benedict, how do you feel? After this chapter, do you feel like we got uh, good? I love yelling about psyche? FDR and people being wrong about <laughs> FDR, as you know. Defend see, FDR. Here's my problem, right? I, I've been, we got a little bit of that crazy, right? When we got him basically dog whistling out to Rhodesia and yeah. white genocide and all that kind of stuff. I felt a little better about my, my frustration over this book and how lame it's been so far, mm-hmm. right? But, but I think it's picking up from here. I think it's going to start picking up because we're going to get into the Swedish stuff and then we're going to get into some climate change denial stuff. So right. it's going to be from some, some fun stuff moving forward that we haven't already gotten a thousand times from every other writer that we've gone through. Excited. So I think we're going to have some fun moving forward. Good stuff. Anyways, that's it for this week's episode. Thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. And remember, if you just can't get enough of us, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash NYGBC. Become a patron for as little as $2 an episode for patron-only episodes, shout-outs on the show, drawings to win copies of the books we read, and more. As always, we have to give a shout-out to our wonderful and amazing patrons, Dexter, Allison, Corey Bidding, Megan Ruth, Glaurung the Deceiver, Danielle, Big Easy Blasphemy, Becky Scott Fairley, Stephen and Cindy Dimmick, AJ Brantley, Taru Takanen, Skeptical Seventh, and Andrew Jenko. Thank you all, as always, for being our patrons. Oh, and I gotta say, last little bit. I know everyone's already paused the show already and tried to look for the next thing they're gonna listen to, but uh, I know I have said in the past about interstitial episodes that if any of our listeners or our patrons have suggestions for me, send them to me on Twitter, and I realized the other day that I think... Some of our people, some of our patrons, and I think Becky Scott Fairley in particular, have sent me suggestions, but you've sent them in the form of, hey, you should check this out. And in my mind, I never connected the, hey, you should check this out, to this is a suggestion for something you should do for an interstitial. Sure. So resend anything to me that you have, uh, because I, I think I may have overlooked those way long, way long, long ago. I would just like sort of, oh, yeah, that's cool. Maybe I reply to the tweet. I didn't think it was uh, something you wanted us to look into for the show, but send that to us if that is a thing. Anyways, thank you all for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode. But that's it for this week's show. Until next time, walk down the right back alley in Sin City and you can find it. Goodbye. Goodbye.
The Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast is a production of Kevin and Benedict Productions. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved. Music for this podcast is by Silverman Sound Studios. Find out more at silvermansound.com.